Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. We're up here on Ben Buckler. Today we're talking about one big, fat, lovely, delicious, gorgeous topic, and I think it might be interesting. I hope it's interesting, for certainly from my side, it's very interesting. Love. Love your work, love your life, love your family, love yourself, love your community, love your angry neighbors, love your friends, love your sky, love your past, love your future, love. Whoa, but what if, when I say love, and you hear the word love, and you feel love, we're all feeling different things. One day I was working with a scientist, a professor in a university, who told me that actually there's no such thing as blue. There is what each individual calls blue. And there, there is a generic thing that all of us call blue, but we have no idea what the brain of that individual is seeing and calling blue. So they might be actually seeing red and calling it blue. It's very interesting to understand the, how the brain works and how it, how it actually perceives and receives information and then converts it into what it knows. If uh, we had to think about every single thing we think about and do, we would uh, have no spare time. For example, uh, the subconscious brain automates most of our thinking into pattern and so we say get up in the morning when we say that the brain doesn't go what do you mean by get up chris it means it my brain automatically says get up means pull down the sheets and stand up out of bed uh, and be out of the bed it, get up is a sequence of steps and events so the perception of the well-being of that uh, statement or the perception of whether you like it or not again it becomes a pattern and you say you say to someone get up early and they look at you as if you're the devil because <clears throat> in their brain that's pain now getting up early isn't pain but if we've got in the subconscious mind the belief that it is then it is and arguing with someone's perceptions and their uh, are, are, desire to be right is a rather foolish. I don't know if you've realized yet, but when you argue with someone about what they think is right, you might win the argument, but they always go back to what they think is right as being their default. So they don't change. And this is because those patterns in our subconscious brain are subconscious. They're very automa they're part of the automation of our life. Unfortunately, some of those uh, automations are not in our best interest. Um, for example, uh, you, the boss comes in and says, you failed on this job, you did a shitty job on this project. Uh, it's very easy to, to take it as criticism rather than an opportunity to admit that could be better and thank the boss because they've just given you a chance to improve your quality of your work, but no. For most people, that would be deemed uh, a mirror of childhood when they were criticized by their mum and dad. And therefore, um, they take it again uh, because there's no access to the 
script in their in their subconscious brain they take it again as being uh, a repeat of of old pattern it's very much the same my family uh, uses humor uh, my dad always uses humor to deal with hardship so if somebody's going through a hard time dad when he was alive used to make a joke and he go well at least they're not uh, at least the laundry bill will be cheaper or at least you'll have more time for tennis or something he'd make a joke about something quite severe trying to lighten up and uh, let's say uh, freshen up the conversation but most people don't like making jokes about things they think are serious because it confronts their uh, sense of righteousness or sense of rightness but in some ways my dad was sort of being a coach in, in some funny way he was sort of provoking that person to rethink their perception of the event on which they're experiencing misery uh, my dad had experienced the, the second world war and many 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 of his very best friends in the entire world from his little village in in tasmania died in his arms in the war um, uh, helplessly of course because there was no medicines available and what have you so and then dad came back from that and built a house and his wife uh, and his love of his life died and left my dad bereft and then blah 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 um, and uh, my I guess the coping mechanism of my dad was change your mind um, anything that he saw as being a terrible thing he just made it into a joke whether he, that joke changed his mind or not, I'm not sure. Um, it's certainly, when I tried it, as I grew up through my early 20s, um, caused many, many a pushback in, in environments that I didn't want to be pushed back on. Uh, you know, I'd say something to someone that was meant to lighten the moment, but uh, they were very un, unimpressed. And so I realized that uh, sarcasm or cynicism or whatever it is, is just not the best way to communicate with most people. Love is exactly this topic because what you call love listening to this, what I call love listening to this, it all depends on our consciousness. Now, that doesn't say one consciousness is better than another one. For example, if you go to, if you're single and you went to a party tomorrow night and you are of super low consciousness and you meet somebody, the first thing you want to do is wrap your arms around them and tell them how magnificent they are and that will make them and you horny as hell. You'll all get pregnant and live happily ever after. It, the, the degree of lust and the degree of um, passion and the degree of... Uh, attachment and sexuality and and all of these gorgeous words that we many of us call love come from the super lowest level of human consciousness possible primal consciousness there are even people who eat primal thinking that it's uh, going to make their passions and their way of life even more loving because they eat primal to love themselves more and this is this is a, this is not wrong it's simply low consciousness 
The reason that I don't aspire to low consciousness anymore is simply because it's bipolar. The lower we go in consciousness, it's a pyramid, as you know from before, the consciousness cone. The lower down the cone you go, the more polar opposite you have, so the wider the base. So the degree to which you will have lust, attraction, uh, uh, passion, uh, desire, motivation, the degree to which you have those things is the degree to which you must have the opposite repressed. So there will be the person who's depressed is repressing elation. Elation causes depression. And so the person with elation has the most extreme definition of expectations of how the world should work. It doesn't, they get depressed. So they express their depression, they repress or hide their elation. Now, the interesting thing about this low consciousness dynamic that very many, many people call love is that what you repress, another person expresses. So a person who expresses depression will attract a person who expresses elation. But the person who expresses elation represses depression. So the person who represses depression is trying to get away from depression and have more elation. And next thing you know, they attract the person who's expressing depression and repressing elation. The reason the person is repressing their elation, their fantasy world, is they don't want it attacked. They don't want, they want to keep it in a daydream. They want to keep it in the fantasy world. And next thing you know, they're with someone who's living out the fantasy world. So the, the person who's expressing depression, repressing elation, attracts a person who's expressing elation, repressing depression. And next thing you know, all the things about the person who expresses depression that they judge in themselves, therefore don't love, is expressed by the person they meet. And this is amazing realization that nature has a magical order in the chaos, a formula. I have a client who is the super most positive thinking guy you'll ever meet. The most positive thinking. He's absolutely infatuated with positive thinking and gratitude. Well, his partner is a mathematician type of person and very sullen and very sour and she is repressing every positive gratitude and she does courses after courses to try to build her expression of passion and elation up. So there are consequences for every choice we make. Our lower consciousness self loves by attachment. It grabs onto things. It lusts for them. It aches for them. It is actually if you ask a person who's in the lowest level of primal consciousness in the got to level to let go of somebody or something they can't they cannot do it even if that person is wrenched from their arms and dead they will not let go they will hang on for the rest of eternity to that person and then try to replicate that person by finding another person to let's say uh, replace them but really they're not meeting a new person they're just meeting the replacement version of the person they're attached to so the got to lower consciousness state in life 
is extremely, extremely dogmatic, extremely righteousness or wrongness. So the person who's walking around going, I don't know what to do. What's the question? I don't know whether to uh, do, the, uh, do, do the, the, the first thing first or the second thing first. I, I don't know my priorities. I don't know. The person who expresses their wrongness by a million, billion, trillion questions about everything they do is repressing their righteousness. So that same person who is asking themselves a million things a day about what to do at their lowest level of consciousness has deep inside righteousness. They believe they're gotta be right. And the reason they have wrongness is that righteousness is anchored. I wanna get it right. And therefore I don't know what to do and therefore I'll express my questioning. But the purpose of the questioning, which is the expressed wrongness, is to get it right. So this bipolar, this polarity of consciousness is very vulnerable in its form of love because if the other person sneezes in that relationship, so does the person who is in the lower consciousness. They, they cannot differentiate or separate themselves from other. And this is very romantic. It's very much what we call the family life. It unfortunately causes all manner of uh, inter, interpersonal and in, inward in self conflict because ultimately it's impossible to live your own values while you are joined at the hip at a level of got to to another human being and calling it love. I love to work with this person. I love to play with that game. I love to be in this community. I love to be on Facebook with this group of people. What that is basically saying is I am defining myself attached through the attachment to this group of people and their identity becomes my identity. Um, it's no different to a mother or father saying, I am my husband or wife and my kids. I am, that's me. And this is, this is very normal. It's very, very understandable that when you say we, you mean I, or when you say I, you mean we, we the, the nuclear family. And sometimes there are people who even haven't left home and are 40 something years old and still respond with great emotional trigger to the emotions and beliefs and judgments of the parents that they left home from 25 years ago. And that person means that their we, their I means we. It's not only their nuclear uh, concept of uh, partnering and family, but their extended concept of family and family relationships. And this we, or as they call it I, when they say I, they mean we, this is incredibly polarized stuff because what one person in the family will, will express, another pun will repress, what one person judges, the other one judges the opposite. And next thing you know, this individual is complaining that they don't feel fulfilled in their life and they're very, very, very stressed. So stress is the first sign of lower consciousness attached love. Now there's nothing wrong with stress. Stress is healthy, stress is great. If it goes too far, it usually blows a person up. But ultimately, if you think about it, 
98% of the world's population dies from stress. 98% die from stress. Stress and its correlate um, uh, partner, which is worry. 98% of the world's population die young from stress. And nature has a rule, evolve or die. So there is a motive for us wanting to get off the bottom of the consciousness cone. And we can't do it just by thinking it differently, by doing a discard or something. We have to recognize that all of this adds up to how we define love. If we define love as who we attach to or who we've got or how we influence or what our expectations are, we are going to learn one way or another when that thing that we're attached to controlling, uh, influencing, gets wrenched from our arms or pushes back very harshly. We're going to learn one way or another what the difference is between conscious love and unconscious love is. We're going to learn the difference between our means, our habits, our subconscious belief pattern around these things. We're going to learn it eventually. Now, there's no rush. The soul is not in a hurry. Soul has no time. But nothing of the senses, that lust, that vigor, that enthusiasm for romantic attachment, nothing of the senses ever satisfies the soul. So the individual who is at this lower level of the consciousness current is completely and continually searching, dissatisfied. Now the reason for it is that we, we compartmentalize work or we compartmentalize our problems and try and solve one problem at a time. So we go, oh Chris, I need, uh, I'm confused about my work. No, you're not. You're confused what love is. Oh Chris, I'm not sure how my relationship's working yet working well I, I, I need to understand how this uh, my partner works and work better with with him or her no you're confused about what love is oh Chris my health is not where I want it to be I put on weight and I'm feeling a bit depressed about it uh, can you help no the problem is you're confused about what love is as you rise on the consciousness current love becomes more and more and more unique different to rise up the consciousness cone in love, expectations of what a person does expand. No, they don't contract. Tight expectations sit at the bottom of the consciousness cone. Let me explain this just for a second. Let's say uh, I meet, I'm out swimming, and I'm in the ocean, I'm staring over Ben Buckler now, looking out in the ocean, there's wind in the microphone, you know I'm being legit about that. So I'm staring out in the ocean and I bump into somebody on the water and I bang, bang heads. It's a bloody awful experience because you think it's a shark. And it's happened to me many, many times, even though I keep a constant vigil on who's swimming where and what's going on. Bang, you hit heads. And it hurts. And you get a little bit of a shock and you look at that person and you go, fuck you, you fucking, how do you, why did you fucking look out where you're going? So there's one form of love because my expectation is that person looks out for me. Because I'm a bit half bloody blind when it comes to the ocean and swimming in goggles, I expect that person to look out for me. So my reaction is quite bipolar, isn't it? it it's, uh, it's anger, it's uh, resentment, it's hurt, it's feeling like 
that person is blame, it's victim, it's everything's going in there. Now, take me out of the ocean, put me on the, on the sand, walk up the beach and I go home. And I'm having dinner with my partner and it's burnt. It's overcooked. She cooked it. And I, and I react to that exactly the same way as I react to having my head bumped in the ocean. I polarize it into right and wrong. And that becomes my definition of love. I love you as long as you don't burn the toast. I love you as long as you don't bang me in the head. I'm detached with my love. I can love every swimmer in the ocean. I'm standing on Ben Buckler. There's thousands of people swimming. I can say I love everyone. There's no problem with that. If I'm swimming and they bang me on the head, now I'm really revealing my consciousness. But what if I was to uh, evolve and I go swimming again? Let's say I do change my consciousness, which is what my objective is with all my coaching. I change consciousness. Let's just say you go out and you're swimming and you bang heads. But your expectation, given that you've done discards on the whole family, you've done the 12 big discards, the holy 12, and you've done the 12 big discards, and you've finished them, and you've written gratitude letters, and you really have got a tear of inspiration on everyone. And let's say you go swimming, and you bang heads. You go, hmm. What's the benefit? You look at that person, you go, hi. Looks like we were meant to bump into each other today. I wasn't watching. It hurt. I'm annoyed. But my expectations are broader. So I've got more expectation of what can happen in the ocean than less. The first time I swam and banged heads, I have a zero tolerance, which means zero expectation, zero tolerance to my expectation. Get out of my way. The second time I swam with a higher consciousness on it, I swim and I go, well, if I don't look out, I'll bang my head. What's the benefit of banging my head? If, uh, I, if the other person doesn't look out, it's not because they're not, they're not responsible for me. And I have a whole lot of other expectations of reality. I'm more real. When I'm more real, it means the whole platform is wide open. Now that's a different way to love. That's a whole different paradigm. That's a whole different self-talk. That's a whole different approach. Now, if you think about the things we teach, let's talk about them. We talk about life balance life balance if you love your work and you love and you love your uh, life outside of work there is no such thing as life balance life is balance in every moment let's talk about letting go talk about conscious love there is no holding on so there is no need to let go let's talk about anger balance at the higher level of consciousness. Anger is not one, of the, not one of the feared paradigms of life. It's something we know exists and we can use it when we want it. We don't judge it. So the concept of evolution, as you go higher up the consciousness cone, your definition of love 
becomes broader. Your expectations become larger. You get disturbed less, you get stressed less. And so your, your, your definition ultimately of what it is to love your work and love your friends and love your partner and love your children becomes completely different. Now they try to describe this in Buddhism and Zen as the word stillness. And what does stillness really mean when, if, if, if you drill it down? Well, if you go to the conventional meditation and they sit down and say, shh, very, very quiet, and if any thought comes through your mind, let it go. And you get this idea of singularity, that love and this quiet space is love. And so when you meet somebody and by the way, the horniest place, if you want to meet a new partner in your life, go to a meditation retreat where there's silence. Because by the end of it, most people are as horny as rattlesnakes. And I can tell you unlimited numbers of people who've met their spouse and partner at a so-called spiritual retreat. Because it's where silence comes and the heart opens and everything's great. But the reality is, conscious love is not silence. Stillness is not silence. Stillness is the lack of reaction to noise. The louder the noise, the less you react, the more conscious you are. And that is love. So if your partner, for example, um, paints the house green when you're gone, or has sex with somebody else, or does something, you go, I still love you. Because your expectations expand. They expand to reality rather than contract to a philosophy. At the bottom of the consciousness cone, we have a thing called terrorism. Terrorism is where someone is so welded to a belief system. They believe everybody else in the world is wrong. They are right. And they even go to the extent of trying to destroy the opposition. This is an aggressive place. And I think it's very, very common, this aggressive position of right-wrong terrorism. It's how many of the billionaires in the world made their money. I was once in, uh, in, in, in uh, Netherlands and I uh, was fortunate enough to have an afternoon, um, a few beers with a billionaire in his home. And uh, wow. Anyway, the long and the short of it, this guy held up his bicep and made me squeeze his bicep to see how strong he was. Now I said no, and he said, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I said, no, I'm not gonna squeeze your freaking bicep. And he goes, come on, come on, come on, come on. I wanna prove how strong I am. Look at me, look at me. And that was his attitude to life. And he asked me a question. When you go in, and he was the coach of the Netherlands rowing Olympic rowing team I believe or uh, and he also rode in one of the Olympic teams so a very competitive guy brilliant and he said to me you're in a race you're rowing the gun goes off what do you have to do do you have to win or do you have to simply beat somebody well as a conscious person living in this world whose ambition isn't necessary to be a billionaire I automatically said, you row to win. You run your race. 
you row your race. You row to the best of your ability, and that should put you in the position of winning if you're the best team. And end, end of story. He goes, nah, you're a loser. You're a loser. He said, all you have to do is pick the team that's going to come second and beat them. His position on everything, including love, was polarity. Now, he had a long-term relationship with his partner who he financed into a lot of business ventures. I wasn't privy to how that dynamic was going, but she didn't look what I would call sprightly and chirpy and love. I can only say that she's still there because she has the same philosophy of competitiveness. It's not wrong, it's just low consciousness. And low, the lower the consciousness we're able to recruit, probably as a business owner, the more money we make because we polarize ourselves to extreme. Our product is brilliant. I think I might have mentioned in a previous podcast once that I bought a pair of shoes from a guy in, in uh, Victoria, uh, bike shoes. And the way you buy these bike shoes online is you get a pencil and you trace around your foot and you send him the, the tracing with a ruler next to it and he can see from the tracing the size of shoe you need and he sends you that shoe. Anyway, I, I, I did that and I sent it to him and he came and I, the shoes arrived, they're too small. And I said to him, the two shoes are too small. And he goes, no, there's something wrong with your tape measure. Now, my tape measure wasn't made in China or somewhere. And my tape measure was a, you know, a well-known well Australian brand of tape measure and it's impossible for it to be wrong. But no matter what I said to this guy, I was wrong. He was right. He replaced the shoes, fair enough, but he would never admit that something is wrong with his shoe size. Anyway, the story continues because uh, I bought Jess a pair of the same shoes, traced her foot, sent it to him on a piece of paper. He measured it. He sized the shoes. He sent the shoes. He had the actual tracing of the foot. When I got the shoes, they're too small. And I said to him, your shoes are too small. And he goes, the way you traced the foot on that piece of paper was wrong. I admire this guy. This is polarity. This is a terrorist. This is a business person. Extreme polarity. But if you think like that at work, you think like that at home. And if you think like that at home and work, you think like that about yourself. And if you think like that about yourself at home and work, that's a choice. That's how you love. And I'm not saying a conscious person makes less money. I'm saying they just do it different. I'm saying a conscious person leads a business with love. A conscious person leads their life with love. And that is very different to a terrorist who's living in the world of extremes, of bipolar, of polarity. This is Chris up on Ben Butler. Time for another swim. Bye for now.